for this morning, it's going to be, there's two of them. So first one is uh, Acts 6, um, verse 1 to 6 on the Pew Bibles is page 914. Okay. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the heathenness arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Pocrius, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostle, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Okay, the second uh, passage is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. And that's on uh, page 977 in the Pew Bibles. 11, where is it? Okay, to 16, right? And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful shames. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to gather up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together, but every joint with which it is equipped." When each part is working properly, makes the body grow up that is built itself up into love. We are starting a new series today called The Portrait of the Missional Family. And we're entering into a season of the life of our church where our church is maturing and um, And this is actually a very exciting time, and next year we want to raise up our first set of of ordained leaders, elders and deacons, and that's actually an incredibly important thing in the life of the church. Uh, And so as a part of that, Pastor Young and I thought it would be good and wise that from the pulpit that you would have some good biblical teaching on what that means. Um, This series, we are going to talk a good bit about leaders. We're going to talk about these uh, lay-ordained elders and deacons that are important in building up the whole body of Jesus Christ. Um, Some of you are thinking, well, I don't think I'm deacon material, and I'm sure as heck don't think I'm going to end up being an elder, but uh, so I guess this this series isn't going to be that relevant to me. Actually, that's not true. Because for you to be a part of the church, you need to have wisdom about all of that it's about. And this, as, as I'm going to preach today, it's about the fullness of the church. The fullness of the church isn't just its leaders, but the leaders function in a particular way. And we want to teach you today, um, especially starting today, about how that works. And so that's what this series is about. And I hope that it will be of interest in you and that you especially care especially all those of you who are members of our church and um, are invested in our mission. And so without further ado, let me get this. Uh, there's two passages. It's a little bit, I know it's a little bit more than I, I usually like to do. So l- let's get into this. And I'm going to talk about this in three parts, as I usually do. Um, and in this message, I'm calling the fullness of ministry. I think in a lot of ways in our culture today, we have a very kind of truncated and reduce an actually false view of what ministry is. And I want to try to dispel some of that from the Bible today. And, and we're going to look at it through these two passages. And, and in three parts, part one, clergy versus every member ministry. Okay, that's part one. Clergy versus every member ministry. There's a lot of misconceptions about what ministry is. And, I'll, um, and it has something to do with your attitude toward clergy, that is uh, those of us who are ordained to be pastors, 
and what it means to be a, mem uh, a, a member and what thus ministry is. Clergy versus every member in ministry, part one. Part two, the organic we. What do you mean by that? I'll, I'll get to that. The organic we. And part three, identity formation and the greatest team on earth. Identity formation and the greatest team on earth. A number of you are like, I don't know who I am and I'm not sure what my identity is. It's a big question and a big problem in our culture. It has something to do with the church. The church, what I'm going to call the greatest team on earth. And I'll get to that when we get to part three. So part one, clergy versus every member of ministry. Let's go to Acts chapter six. Um, let me share with you some of the things that's going on. Um, and it'll help, help you. It doesn't seem like it's much. There's a problem going on in the early church, and they solved it. Actually, um, it's not just a simple little story. It's tremendous pieces of wisdom that flow out of these, this first set of verses. Um, chapter 6, let, let's, let me, let's get into it. Verse 1. Now in the, these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Okay, what's going on here? Um, let me paint this picture for you. Christianity is new. <laughs> this is not long after Jesus was crucified and resurrected and the Holy Spirit has been poured out, Pentecost has been happening, and now the first people are believing in Jesus it's so new that they don't even call them Christians yet. <laughs> that doesn't happen until a few chapters later. And, um, and so what they've done is a, a problem is starting to arise. And so it says in verse 2, And the twelve, and that's who the twelve, and who are the twelve? The twelve are the or original people who followed Jesus. And at this point, they're starting to, they, they were first called the disciples of Jesus. But now they're being called the apostles. In other words, uh, the key pastors and leaders who were going to lay down the foundations of the church because they knew who Jesus was and how to understand the scriptures in light of Christ. So the 12, they summoned the full numbers of the disciples. And so do you see the difference here? There, The disciples are all those who believe in Jesus. So you're going, how many people are there? Was there 50? Was there 100? No, there were thousands. <laughs> Um, if you go back a couple chapters, and I know I'm, I'm just trying to fast forward all through all this. Peter gave a sermon, and 3,000 people were saved. Um, that was the first church. So a lot of people think a mega church is a modern thing. Ameri you know, modern Americans came up with a mega church. Not true. The very first church that was ever was, guess what? It was a mega church. <laughs> it's a very huge church. And all the people who believe in Jesus were called the disciples. Because what are you? Um, you're made to be a follower of Jesus, and that's all the disciples, a follower of Jesus. So they gathered all of them together because they had a problem. What is the problem? At this point, um, all the people who believe in Jesus, um, almost all of them are Jews. Um, there's just there's a few who aren't, and actually he's named, but I'm, I won't get into all that, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later. They're almost all Jews, but within these folks, there is a distinction. There's a distinction between those they called the Hebrews and those they called the Hellenists. The Hebrews, I mean, now getting all of them are ethnically Jews, but the Hebrews are the ones who live in this area, Judea, and they speak Aramaic. They speak that the the, the current version of Hebrew they called, which was called Aramaic. But then they were called the Hellenists, and the Hellenists are those who are Jews ethnically, but they grew up somewhere else and they speak Greek because that's what Hellenism is. It's being of the Greek education and speaking Greek. And so all the Christians, uh, well, they weren't called Christians yet, but all the Christians at the time, um, they didn't practice church the way we practice church. In this modern era, the way we, we think about church is we think about church as primarily this institution. There's a building, it has a little steeple, and that's a place where we practice religion. Real life is things like education and jobs and money and economy and family and, um, and mortgages. And that's all the secular real life. People think that's what, And then there's this little thing that happens called religion. <laughs> And that's where the church is. And 
in our society, and people actually say this, especially all the secular people who lead our society, they see this as a piece of, of privacy. And that private thing called church and religion, it happens for an hour or two in that special little building. We call that church today. But that is not the way the, the church operated back then, and that's not the way the church was supposed to operate. How did they do church? There's no public, private little split where they're, the church is shoved into this little corner that's, that most people think is largely irrelevant because it's all this small little thing called religion. Church was life. Church was a, a very profound counterculture community. In fact, they probably didn't own any buildings. And they didn't have little structures that were called the institution of the church. Nowadays, people say, well, I like Jesus and I like God, but I don't like the church because I don't like institutional religion. And because they always think that church is this thing that's institutional in this little building, and, they sh and it's all shoved into that building, into that little institution. But that's wrong. Church is primarily a tremendous family, a 3,000-plus person family. And when they have a problem in their family, they gather all of them together and have a family discussion. That's what's going on in Acts chapter 6. And they deal with the problems in the family. Back then, you didn't have a government that um, would take care of the poor. If you were a widow, and a widow, if you were a widow, that, you had a very serious problem of poverty in your hands. Um, women who, 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 were, who lost their husbands couldn't decide, you know what, then I'm going to you know, uh, go look on Craigslist and go get a job and then try to start fending for my family. That's not the way it worked back then. If you were a widow and your husband passed away, you and your children could become destitute. And you can't walk down to the, the local welfare office and they hand you some food stamps. Uh, you could be begging on the street and starving. And so what did the people of God do? The family of God did was being part of the church was taking care of widows, taking care of your family. That wasn't something they, they gave to the government. That was church. And the church now had a problem because there's a language gap that's happening between those who spoke Greek and those who spoke Aramaic. And it's not kind of unlike, well, actually, things that happen right inside this church. Um, a, a majority of the people who go to this church are ethnically Korean, not every, everybody, and thankfully, and we want that more and more to be the case. In fact, that's why we have this congregation who, 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 where the, the language is spoken is is, uh, is English, but just as that happens, sometimes, you know, the, the language doesn't work, and then sometimes the systems don't work quite well for everybody because they don't speak the same language, and that's what was happening. And so some of the widows that were uh, of, of the side where they spoke Greek, called of the Hellenists, they were getting kind of neglected in the care, and so this issue is arising, and so the leaders of the church... The 12 gathered the whole family together in the mega church. I mean, can you imagine this? I, I think about this thing and I'm like, wow, what a meeting. <laughs> and here's what the 12 said. And here's the part that I want you to catch. Verse 2. The 12 summoned the full number of the disciples, remember 3,000 plus people, and said, it is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word to serve tables. Because that's what they're doing. The guys who are leading the church, they're taking care of the widows. They're feeding them. And so uh, this is a very, very important work. I mean, just because he says serve tables, I, I don't want you to have this modern notion that, okay, that means they were like waiters and waitresses. And, you know, and, and a lot of people look down upon the work of being waiters and waitresses, and we shouldn't. <laughs> but um, a lot of times we do. And so somehow this was an important work. It was so important you had to gather the whole family together. And we have to have a very serious discussion. But here's what they said. We can't be giving up the work of preaching the word of God and be doing this other work, which is really important. So here's what we need to do. Therefore, brothers, verse 3, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. You don't want just any old jokers. We don't want some baby Christians here. We want Real men, 
godly men, wise, people that you respect and trust. I want you to go find some of these guys, pick up seven of them, whom we will appoint to this work, to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And right there, you know what's happening? Right there, a very important development is happening so that the church can be the church. A set of people says we need certain people to be devoted to the preaching and prayer and the ministry of the word. And we don't want those guys to spend most of their time doing this other work. Those things, that work needs to be done. So you know what? We need other leaders, very important leaders, to arise and do and lead and spearhead that so that the church can do that work too. And um, the pastors I respect, the thinkers I respect, said, you know what? This is the first set of deacons. These, and, they, and so important, these men are so important, you, they're named. You, you, they're named Stephen, Nicanor, all these guys. They're, you lit, they're named. You, the scriptures want you to know who they were. And then that's what they said. Now, just a quick, a quick comment about this before I, I get into talking about um, clergy and every member of ministry and, and, and spill this out. Yesterday, we did this incredible thing, and um, a number of you came out, sacrificed portions. There's some, a couple hours. Some actually stayed almost the whole day. Uh, you were here from like 9 to 7, and you sacrificed a day to paint this room and make it so much more welcoming to people. Um, it, it's, uh, and it was, it was a great piece of work, and now we get to enjoy this. And all those people who are new into the church so if, you, if you're new today and, you, and you've never, and we have, a, I see a couple of new faces, the, the walls were uglier last week, okay? <laughs> and, um, and honestly, we painted this for you. Um, I intended, Pastor Young and I came here, I intended, I wanted to paint for most of the morning, but a pastoral emergency arose, and so that sucked up a good chunk of my morning, and I was only able to paint for about an hour, hour and a half, and even still, you know, like paint was spilled on me, and that made me feel good. I'm like, okay, here, I got paint on me, see? even though, honestly, I wasn't very good. And, and I wasn't very, probably very helpful, but I was actually thinking about this very passage because, and then when I left, nobody said, hey, Pastor, how come you weren't there painting? And then later on, Pastor Young had to leave because he, he had a soccer game for his children, and nobody complained. You know why? Because they felt this work, this ministry work that's happening, it's our work. And the pastors, I actually had to go home because I wasn't ready with my sermon quite yet. Usually I am ready on, by Sunday, Saturday, but not this week. I had a lot of other work to do. And I went home and nobody complained. Because this division, this thing, this, this sort of the fullness of ministry can happen, this is what, is what needs to happen. Now what do I mean by clergy versus every member of ministry? Any church... If you are a member, if you are a disciple, if you are a follower of Jesus, you do ministry. <laughs> the ministry of the church is for the whole church. But a lot of times we even have this word called minister, and a minister are, well, the, the pastors. We call minister and pastor, that, that they're, they're, they're synonymous words, and our culture has gotten used to calling that job a minister I mean, that's not the worst thing in the world, but actually, those two words are not exactly synonymous. Do you know that? In a lot of your mind, he's the guy that went to seminary, and the church set him apart. Sometimes he wears weird clothes. In our, in our church, I don't wear weirder clothes than, than, um, than the rest of you. Um, but, but in some churches, they do. Uh, but um, some people are pastor ministers, and that's the same thing. But actually, the word pastor it originates from a word that really means shepherd. A pastor is one that shepherds a flock. Uh, actually, pastor is a person who works in the pasture. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> and and uh, pastors, the, those flock that eats in the pasture, that's where that word literally comes from. And you know what? We don't want everybody. You're not all pastors. Um, I'm a pastor. Uh, pastor Young is a pastor. We've got some up-and-coming young men who are, um, who are learning the work of being a pastor. And, uh, and one day they, they too will become full-on pastors, ordained as pastors. That's what we do. And we're, we're, that's, but a lot of times people think they do ministry. Not true. Yes, we do a ministry, but we do one kind of ministry. 
Minister, it's a word, I, I looked this up. If you look this up in Webster's, and there's multiple definitions, one of them says a minister is this. It's an agent or an instrument of someone else for, the, for, for their purposes. That's what a minister is. A minister who serves and is an agent and instrument of someone else for their purposes. Are you someone who serves the purposes of someone else? Are sent by him as an agent and as your instrument? If you believe in Jesus, you belong to him. <laughs> and you're his agent and you're an instrument and you are thus a minister. <laughs> yes, you are. And so in a healthy and in a biblical church that's following the Bible, every person does ministry and certain people are set apart to be special kinds of leaders, in this case deacons, which we'll talk about more in future. I'll talk about this a little bit more in future weeks. And so this notion that it is the pastors, they do ministry and everybody else, we receive ministry. No, that's a, that's a false kind of consumeristic idea. They do ministry and I just receive ministry and then all the, no, actually we, we all do ministry of various different sorts. And pastors, we use we the ministry of the word to help equip you. And now let me go to part two of my message, um, the organic we. Let, let me have you jump forward to uh, Ephesians 4. So if you have that either on your phone or in, the, in, your, in your Bible for you, Ephesians 4. Verse 11, here's how it is put. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Verse 12. Here's, a, here's what I want you to get. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Okay? So, um, for instance, uh, you know, there's a lot of different um, roles here. But um, pastors, for instance, we are evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. I'm, I'm, I do all three of those. An evangelist is one who proclaims the gospel to those who are unbelievers. I do that work. Um, I shepherd the flock of God's people. Yes, I, I'm, I'm, your, I'm your shepherd, right? And Pastor Young, we're shepherds for you. And certainly I'm a teacher. I'm doing that right now. I'm teaching you. <laughs> I'm doing that work right now. What are we here to do? We're here to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's like I just told you. Who's doing the work of ministry? The pastors? No. The saints do the work of ministry. Now, there's this idea in our culture, and it comes particularly from the, the, the Catholic Church. And some of you I knew who have more of a Catholic background, but this habit of calling saints the way Catholics think about saints is kind of seeped into our culture. So a lot of us think this way, even though, we're not, even though you're not Catholic. And in the Catholic mind, a saint is a very, very special super-Christian from the past. right? And they get celebrated. They're, they're St. Francis. St. Patrick. I mean, they, they even have holidays, <laughs> all right? Um, and so St. Patrick's, I don't know if you know that. It's, 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 I don't know why we in all of America celebrate that, that holiday. It's an Irish Catholic holiday to celebrate a super-Christian from the past, right? And so a lot of people think a saint is a super-Christian that we all look up to, and you're like, well, um, I'm not a saint. But from the Bible, what God says is, if, you know who a saint is? All those who have trusted in Jesus Christ for their salvation. That's what a saint is. Do you, have you trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation and belong to him? You're a saint. There are a number of you who say, I can't be a saint, pastor. I'm, I'm, I'm like a, I'm a on my, when I'm going really good, I'm a C-minus Christian. <laughs> and uh, on, the, on my average weeks, I'm a D and I slip into the D-minus range and Honestly, I, I, I sometimes fall into the F range. I'm failing. I'm utterly failing as a Christian. And um, so how can I be a saint? Well, get, please get this Catholic idea. Let's get the Bible's idea. You know how you could be a saint? I mean, even pastors, to be really honest with you, pastors, we're not A Christians. I mean, half the time we're dropping into the C range, and there are days we drop into the F range too. And if... Pastors can drop into the F range and still be saints. You know why you're a saint? Because nobody is a saint because your performance and your righteousness isn't good enough. <laughs> because I know church well enough. Because, I, because I, I'm, 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 I'm a good 
person who follows the things of the Bible. I mean, heck, I barely even know the Bible. No, you're never a saint by your performance. You're a saint because the Lamb of God came and shed his blood and washed you of your unrighteousness. Somebody else's holiness, somebody else's obedience was placed upon you and credited to you and covers you. That's how you could be a saint, even though you're slipping into D minus and F. And it says right here that all the saints are to be equipped to do the ministry, <laughs> to do the ministry, to the work of ministry. Why? So that all the saints can build up the body of Christ. And so if a church only expects the clergy, the pastors, the guys who specialize in the word ministry and the, the word, then, then the church will never be built up. And so that's why in, in America we have so many this idea that ministry is what the clergy does. And you wonder why the American church is in trouble. The church can't be built up unless all the saints do the work of ministry. And the work of ministry is not only knowledge Bible, there's a lot of other things that need to be done, like painting, <laughs> like caring for those who are weak and sick and poor, like, like handling all the, the important needs. Do you, do you know that um, our city has laws about how our buildings have to be set up? And we need somebody who's on top of the laws and make sure we are compliant with those laws. Those aren't bad laws. Those are good laws. And we should honor our city and our government and follow those laws. And those laws are there for a reason. We need somebody to do that ministry. It's ministry. We need somebody to do that ministry. Somebody trustworthy and wise who can handle those things. Because guess what? As a pastor, I can't be spending time figuring out those laws we need somebody else to be on top of those things so the church can be built up and the church can have the fullness. The church can grow up and not be immature, as it says, tossed about like children. The church can have power and make an impact the whole world. And you know who that is? That's you, saints. Now, let me say something about this thing. Why is it organic? It says in the Bible, there's a couple different visions about the way the Bible talks about it. But there's two in particular that I want to impress across to you, and they're two the most important. And that is one, that the church is the body of Christ, as it is said in this passage, and it's also the family of God. And what do I mean by organic? Organic is something that has life in it. It's a living reality. And the church is, I know it's an organization, but it's actually a living reality. So here's what I mean by this. This is an organized piece of equipment. It's an incredibly complex and advanced. I mean, I mean, I mean, people couldn't even imagine what this was. Even 50 years ago, people would have thought this is something from the moon. It literally is something like out of Star Trek. Beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> I mean, literally, we could do this kind of stuff. But it's, an inc but, but it's not alive. Okay, if, if some of you think it's alive, you, you, you need to go to a psychiatrist, okay? It is, but it's, it's a machine, and it's not organic. It's highly organized, but it is a machine. If your battery st stops losing its charge, you know what you do? You go to a special store, and there'll be a very smart, geeky person. <laughs> you give him a certain money, and then he'll like, have his special little tools, and he'll pop this thing open, and he'll pop out a battery, and he'll stick in a new battery, and it'll work. Because it's a machine. That's how it works. But that's not what the church is. That's not what a body is. So let's say if um, my arm stops working very well, or if my liver stops working very well, can we just chop my arm off? <laughs> can we just chop my arm off and just stick a new? No, because it's, a, it's part of a live thing. <laughs> if a family is organic, so let's say the family is not working very well. So the wife just goes, let's get rid of the husband. Let's just get rid of the husband. Uh, one of the children isn't working very well. Oh, man, this child does pot all the time, doesn't go to school, and cusses me out all the time. Let's just cut this child out and replace him with another one. You can't do that. Why? 
because it's like a body. It's alive. And it goes together in a certain kind of way. And so for the body to work, and the church is like that too. It's a body and it's a family. For it to work, you need certain special roles. The heart pumps, and then now we can live. The daddy and the mom, if you take the mom and the dad out of a family, guess what? The family will collapse and die. And all you have is just a a set of kids who are orphans. And you don't have a family there. You just have orphans. You have lost orphans. And that's what happens in a family. And that's why it's so tragic when certain things happen in families. But in, in a church, a church is like that too. It's organic. And certain portions need to be raised up and, and, there's, and, the, and this passage talks about all these different functions, um, so forth. But uh, and later in the scriptures, especially in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, they talk about certain leaders, and I would like to um, just, they summarize certain roles down to two. Elders and deacons. And if for the body to thrive, you need your elders to be the elders the deacon to be the deacons, and for them to do their ministry so that all of the saints who are the whole of the body, they can do the work of ministry and the church can be built up and impact the world. Now I want to give you a a little picture of this. It says that the church is the body of Christ and that Christ is the head. And here is how how a biblical and healthy church should operate. A church... Jesus Christ is always Lord and King and head over his church. And um, there's a pastor that I respect. His name is Mark Driscoll. And, and recently he, he's gotten himself into some trouble and some controversy. And so, so some people are like, okay, Driscoll's bad. Okay, so they don't want to listen to him anymore. That's not, that's not a good thing to do. If the other things that Mark Driscoll taught were good and wise and biblical, then just because he made some mistakes doesn't mean that those things stop you know, are wrong and can be discounted. One of the things that he taught in one of the sermons I listened to, he says that he often uh, had a lot of other pastors come to him for advice. And one of the things he would say is, hey, show me your org chart, your organization chart. Who answers to whom? How do things work in your church? Let me see. And so then they would go, okay, there's this guy. And he would look at the top of the org chart, and usually they'd be like the senior pastor or some of the elders, and then these people answer to this guy and so forth. And you know what he would say? He would say, Where's Jesus? And you know they would go. Um, well, we just assume Jesus is, is uh, you know, the head of the church. And he's like, assume. He's like, who answers to Jesus in your church? And they kind of go. Um, let me tell you how this works. I think of the the in a church, Jesus is the head. Remember, it's a body. Who is under Jesus? The elders. And that means there are some who are elders who are specialists toward preaching and the word, and that's the pastors. And then there are lay elders that at least um, some denominations call ruling elders or lay elders, and they shepherd together with the the preaching pastors. They shepherd the flock, right? They're supposed to lead the church. They lead the church under the head, Jesus. They don't get to lead the church under their own wisdom, (laughs) They don't leave the church because we go, well, we just have some good ideas and everybody just follow us. That would be man leads the church. That would be something like politics. Okay? That would be like a business. The CEO leads the church or the president and the senators lead our country. No. In the church, Jesus is always the head. And then I think of the elders sort of like as the spine. <laughs> because the, through the elders... The, the will of Jesus, see that Jesus is the head, and then if, you're, if you want your fingers to move your, your, your head, think something, and then the message flows through the spine, and then it goes to the fingers, right? And then the deacons are like the arms and the legs. But do you notice, you're like, well, how, does, um, how do the elders know what Jesus wants? You know what it wants? It said so back in Acts chapter 6. They said, we will devote ourselves to the, the very first pastors, you know what they said? We will devote ourselves to the word and to prayer. That's how pastors know. That's how elders know what is Jesus' will. Pastors and elders better pray a lot. Um, 
when Pastor Young and I, there's, you know, as you notice, there's out there, we have issues and problems arise in the church. Sometimes we already know what the Word of God says to that, and then we use that wisdom because we know the Bible, and we know in that situation we apply that portion of Scripture. So we know sometimes these three portions of Scriptures, and we apply those three portions of Scriptures, and then we use a way to take those three portions and make them come to life, and then we do that in the church. And you trust us to do that. And, um, and many of you, one of the reasons why you come to this church, why you trust me, why you trust Pastor Young, is because we've gone deep into the ministry of the Word. We got us... We've, we've uh, gone to school, seminary. We have been tested and, um, and approved by other godly men who know the scriptures deep, who have gone, have been tested throughout um, in, in their ministry to apply the word of God wisely into the church. That's why we do. That's how one way we, um, we submit to Jesus because Jesus is Lord of the scriptures. But sometimes there's things that we don't know what to do. It's hard. You know what we do? We, then we pray a lot. <laughs> I mean a lot. Sometimes I show up at church, and Pastor Young and I, we share an office, and you know, it's, it's, it's a messy office because we have too many other things to do, and one of these days we'll, we'll make it less messy, okay? And, but sometimes I walk into the office, and I'm expecting Young to be there, but he's not there. <laughs> so then I sit and I start working, and then about an, an hour later, he walks in, and he had been at church, and I know he's at church because his car is on the lot, but he'd been somewhere else, and he was praying. And sometimes we will sit in the office and we'll have these discussions about a problem that's arising in the church. And then we kind of get a little bit to an impasse and we're not quite sure what to do. And I'll say, Young, I'm going I'm to go pray. And I leave the office and oftentimes I'll come right into this room. And on a Tuesday afternoon, I'll spend an hour sitting here pouring myself out to the Lord about this deep problem that we're not quite sure about. This is how we connect to the Lord. Because prayer is things that we say to him, but it's also a conversation. And we trust that there's Jesus King over the church, the Holy Spirit sent by Jesus who indwells us, and then stuff will start to arise in our minds, and a conversation will start to arise, and we trust the Lord leads us through the word. And then we test that by coming back together, and then we converse back together so that it's not just my own thoughts. Like maybe it just arose in my mind. (laughs) There are times that pastors go, even leave the city, and will devote a great deal of time to prayer, especially in big things, especially in hard things, especially when they feel beaten down and hurt and broken down. Um, many of the pastors, they like to go up into the mountains, and then they will seclude themselves for a day, sometimes even more than a day, deep in prayer, to go to the head, Jesus because they know Jesus leads the church, and they must be a spine under Jesus and receive signals from Jesus. I, I personally don't go to the mountains. I, I, I favor the beach. Okay, um, why, why do God, there's not there's not, it's not there's not something super special about the mountains. The reason they go to the mountains is because it's a little higher and they feel like it's closer to God, and it's big. <laughs> a mountain is really big, and so they reminded that a mountain is really huge, and God is far greater than even this mountain. And on this mountain, I'm reminded God is really large. And he'll listen to me. Just like Moses did. Just like Jesus did. I just happen to favor the ocean, and the ocean is humongous. (laughs) And I like to go out there. And so it's kind of strange, I know. Um, I actually have a special hat that protects me from the sun. I actually spent a lot of time picking that hat. (laughs) And spending a good amount of money from one of the members of the church, you guys gave me a nice gift, and I used that money on my prayer hat. I wear shorts. I put on sunscreen. (laughs) I actually have a beach chair, which I keep in the trunk of my car all the time. (laughs) And then I bring my iPad, because then I'm going to scribble my journal of what I'm going to pray, and all my prayer concerns. And when when I tell you I'm going to pray for you, I actually often will stick that prayer in there, and then I go to the beach, and I actually pray for you. And then I go and sit there on that beach chair and I pour myself out to God in my sandals, in my sunscreen. And people walk by and they're thinking like, there's a deadbeat not working. (laughs) But I'm working. And just because you don't see me around, I don't do, I'm not clacking away on a computer. You should be very glad that I do this. And I take it very, very seriously. 
And then when I come back, then I say, hey, young, about two hours in, I heard Jesus say this to me. And I was looking at this in the scriptures, and I was looking through, pouring through my old quiet times, and I think he's saying this. He said this two weeks ago, and then he said this three months ago, and then I sense he's leading us in this direction. And then Young and I will process this together, and then we come to some, sometimes he'll go, no, you're smoking cracks, you're saying that ain't true. <laughs> and sometimes we argue. <laughs> and then, but oftentimes, sometimes when I say it, the spirit will convict him. And then he'll say it to Young, and then we'll come to a place and then we come out as the spine and say, hey, church, we think Jesus wants us to go in this direction. And then you know what you guys usually do? You're like, that's cool. And you know that's of the word. You know that you, you can sense in the, in your, inside your spirit, the Holy Spirit will move you to, to agreement and submission. That's how it happens in the church. Except if you only got a head and you only got a spine, you, you ain't going to get much done. <laughs> And so, then we need to raise up arms and legs, and that's what I see the deacons as. The deacons as arms and legs, but even then, that's still not enough because we need you guys to be the hands and the feet and the fingers and the toes because until you have the arms and legs and they go and do things, then you're doing the ministry. And see how organic it is? It all comes together. That's when the church becomes full and grows into maturity and has great power in the world. Jesus says that the church, that all those who follow him, is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And you know what he means when he says it's the salt of the earth? They didn't have refrigerators back then. And you know what they use salt for? We use it for taste, and they use it for taste too. But they also use it for preservation. Jesus looked at the world and he says, if there was no church, then there'd be no salt. If there's no salt, the whole world would rot. You know why our culture is in such bad shape? Because we shove the church into a little corner and all the people who go to church go, well, they do ministry and I don't do ministry. <laughs> and so then all the non-believers, all the unbelievers think that it's a private thing that we can kind of shove and make it irrelevant. And so the whole culture is rotting. Instead, the church being the salt, making the whole society salt and keeping it in life. And that, in order for that to happen, the church needs to be the church. And all the saints, including those of you who consider yourselves D-minus saints, right? which you're really not, by the way, you're not. As long as the Holy Spirit is in you, moving you, there's no such thing as D minus because the one who is super A plus is alive in you and you could be F minus minus, but he's alive in you and that's more than enough. Okay? Go do the work of ministry and then the church. That's a mouthful. Let me close with this thing that I'm going to call identity formation on the greatest team on earth. If the church is the church, we keep the whole world from rotting. Let me tell you, that is the greatest team there ever is and ever will be. Better than the San Francisco 49ers. Better than the team that made the Apple iPhone. (laughs) Better than whatever team that does this. It is this powerful organic team that's alive. It's alive and pulsating with the, the life and power of the Holy Spirit, the resurrection life of Jesus. It is the greatest team on earth. But so many of you... So many of us in America, we've gotten into this habit that my life is my life and I've got to figure it out. And you know what you're doing? You're thinking your life is like you're going to be the head of your own life and you're going to run all these little things and then, oh yeah, there's church again and then you're going to slip into church and church is, is this religious institution that you're going to give an hour and then on a really good week you're going to give another hour <laughs> when you go to small group or something like that. Right? But actually the church is this powerful life the greatest team on earth, spilling into the world to keep it from rotting. And there's a lot of us, and there's a lot of people who just think, oh, you know, as long as the church, as long as you think of the church like this, and you're on your own, and I'm going to run my own life, you know what you're, you're functioning like? You're basically without a family, because the church is a family. The church is a body. You're like a finger, that's disembodied, and you're out there all on your own, and this finger is like, hey, finger, no head. 
no spine, no arm, no legs. How are you doing out there? I don't know. I don't even know who the heck I am. I don't know what my identity is. You, it is not a coincidence that as Christianity has been lost in our culture, our whole culture is rife with identity problem. I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to become. It's not a coincidence as the church is being, is being disrespected and we're not part of the church that we're all lost and we don't know who we are. Because you disembodied thinkers don't know who they are. And people without a family don't know who they are. Orphans and disembodied fingers don't know who they are. You can't be whole when you're an orphan. There's a lot of different ways people become orphans. Through fatherlessness. Or in this day and age, we, we've just gotten so drunk with sexual decadence, so we just make orphans all the time, right? Babies that got no daddies. And then, and then sometimes we make orphans through divorce, and people lose their parents. But there's another way that we make orphans, and that's this, we're on our own, and we're all autonomous, and I'm going to be in charge of my own life. Actually, if you think you're in charge of your own life, you're autonomous, you're just an orphan, a disembodied finger and you're lost without your family, without the body that you belong to. But it says here, verse 14, that we would no longer be like children. Let me put it this way, lost children. We would no longer be like orphans, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of teaching, every wind of doctrine. There's all this false doctrine that's flying around in our culture given to us by different religions and by different godless folks and being spewed out in the schools and in our TVs. And we're just being tossed back and forth, all these orphans. And by human cunning, and our human cunning, we think we're going to run our own life. And by the craftiness of deceitful schemes, this is what's running our society. But when the church becomes full, all the saints equipped for ministry, and the body of Christ is built up, the church becomes mighty and strong, no longer like an immature, but like a full manhood. That's the way he puts it. And then we, all these orphans, start becoming grown, and disembodied fingers realize, hey, in order for us to know who we really are, your finger needs to have arms, deacons, <laughs> direct us, who are attached to the spine, the elders, and the elders who are taking directions from King Jesus and all of us making one into a family, into this beautiful, tremendous community, instead of us all being just a bunch of angry, lost, depressed, lives falling apart, orphans. Because that's what America is. America is almost 400 million orphans and disembodied fingers, angry, depressed, dependent upon human cunning and every winds of teaching. Is this working? How is this working for you? How is this working for us? Sometimes you come into this church and I tell you the gospel this way. Jesus, he came to live the life we should have lived and died the death we deserve to die to give us a new life, a new righteousness, a new heart that we could never earn or achieve on our own. And this is the gospel. It is. But whenever I say that, many of you, in fact, I'm pretty sure almost all of you, when you hear that, you go, that's what Jesus did for me. <laughs> but actually, Jesus, that's not enough. Jesus came to turn us into a living, organic we, into an us. And until there's an us, until there's a church, until there's this body, this living, thriving, vibrant, powerful a body of Christ, this incredible family of God that's the greatest team on the earth that's ever that the earth will ever see, spilling out into this world, bringing healing and healing and, and then answering poverty and bringing about joy where there was sadness and where they're bringing about hope where there was despair until this we helps us to figure out who we are and have our identity formed, and then this powerful we with our deacons and our elders and the head, Jesus came to do all these things. And the gospel in giving us this righteousness did this so that he can form us to this incredible, beautiful we that can go out and heal the whole massive, especially dying, rotting world. And so 
saints, brothers, fingers, hands. Um, some of you are going to become deacons and elders. And you're going to become incredible, mighty men and women of God. And I can't wait. <laughs> Our church is just entering this journey. And you should, Pastor Young, we are excited. It's not something we can make happen. The Holy Spirit is bringing this about in your hearts and causing you to come out. I mean, we didn't make you spend half your Saturday to paint this wall. You did it willingly and gladly. And because the Holy Spirit did this in you, because you knew that Jesus is your head, he's worthy of your life, and the church, the more as we do this, we know that you believe and know it's the hope of this city and all our friends and neighbors. And we are so excited for this to happen. And so, brothers and sisters, give your life to this. And, you know, think about this. And over these next few weeks, pray on this and chew on this. And, Lord, what is my ministry? <laughs> what, how can I grow? And how can I talk to the spines and let them equip me to unleash us, this incredible living organic we, so life can spill out into this dying city? So please be thankful that, thinking all that, mindful of that. In this, in, the, in this exciting upcoming weeks ahead and this exciting year that's coming next year as we raise up this next set of uh, leaders, this different set of ministers to uh, make our church just more and more the family of God, the powerful, greatest team on earth, okay? Let's pray. We so long for your church to shine brightly. We so long for us to be your saints. We are your saints, but that we will be your ministers as we ought to be, as we were meant to be, as you call us to be. And I pray, Lord, that in the weeks ahead that you would stir my brothers and sisters and they would say, I, I, I'm a fingerer. <laughs> I got to go do the, I got to go do this. Who else is going to do this? I need to do this. And they, they, can't, they would literally not be able to sleep because they, their hearts burn to do the ministry that you call them to do, that you've, you've made them, that you've given them to be able to do, Lord. And Lord, Young and I are so, we, we're, we look at that, this blue wall and the paint and just how much nicer this room is. And we see this as a down payment. So many things in the church which need more ministering. And what will it be like when your saints pour themselves out for all the different ways that your church needs to grow and thrive to become a mighty, mighty, unstoppable family of God. And so, Lord, um, I pray you would use this word powerfully and in the weeks and, and in, even in the months ahead, uh, you would just take new hope into this. As we go into this next chapter of our church's life, you would just take us into a whole new place. And just as uh, organically, you know, it just doesn't look like anything. Like children don't look like anything look like what they look like, or even little babies look very different than what they look like when they grow into maturity into the next stage. In this next chapter, which would take us into a huge big steps of maturity. And we would, we would uh, shine brightly with your power and your wisdom. Always be our King and our Savior, our treasure and our glory in our life, Jesus. We honor you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.